Hey, witches. Welcome to The Lion, The Witch, and The Podcast. We are two mystic Leos discussing spirituality and human condition in the post-pandemic world. So hop in, witches. We're going hexing. Witches, what's up? Hey. Hey. How's it going? What's go? Oh, I have a froggy. <clears throat> Another one. We literally just talked about this frogs and, and mucus and stuff. That frog is living in your throat for spooky season. I named Trying to get out. Yeah. Should we name it? Um, yeah. It could be like one of your familiars. Oh my God. Is that a thing? <laughs> could that be Let's, a thing? Yeah, it is a thing. Let's name it Constance. Constance. Constantly. Oh happening. my God. Constance, the phlegm frog that's in my throat. <laughs> God, that's so gross. <laughs> if you ever watch the show Salem... Which I, which I think you would like. Um, it's on Hulu. This is mm-hmm. a recommendation. This is an open recommendation for anybody. Yes. They actually, I believe it's a frog or a spider. I can't really remember one of them. One of the witches, um, like the main witch, Mary Sibley, she's controlling her husband with her familiar and she shoves it down his throat. And I think it's a frog, but I'm not sure. You so. know what? Frogs are great. We love frogs. I used to try to catch frogs at our old house. I used to try and catch frogs and my mom fucking hates frogs. So when we would, mm-hmm. we would like in the little uh, pool, um, what's it called? The pool, the cleaner thing, like yeah. the, the little net, we would like put it like over her face or her body. She would freak the fuck. <laughs> Torturing poor Robin. You know what? It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> anyway. It's okay. Anyway, Sean, how witchy has your week been? I put up my Maven altar, which is yes, cool. Yes. I, I haven't really like, I don't have really anything planned or like, I'm not like doing anything uh, particular. I think I'm going to try and like clean up the backyard as mm-hmm. like kind of an offering to the change of season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put up my, like, I have this little, um, so I have like my regular altar in my altar room, which is the room we're all in now. Yeah. We're all hanging out in now. Hanging. And um, I have an altar on my um, dresser in my bedroom, which kind of like, if you live with like other people, that's kind of like where like, it's like definitely a sacred space destination. Mm-hmm. So for, as you know, for summer, it was a, a huge sea witch altar. There was like sea witch, there was seashells, sea witch candles, like everything thing all over it and I turned it over and it now has leaves it has pumpkin lights it has like mm. every pumpkin candle crystals of the season it's it's wild I love that for you it's beautiful you showed me it and I was like yeah yes yeah it's perfect perfection <laughs> how would you was your week um how would you has my week been you know what the harvest moon number one was absolutely st- Funny, beautiful. Oh my God. And I like, I sent you a photo. I also put it on the gram, but I, I fucking like cleanse. I charge my crystals. Like I, I've never done like that insane of a like charging station, but I don't know what came over me. I was like, I'm gonna do that. And I cleanse them with some incense that you gave me. (laughs) Hmm. And yeah, that's really you know, going into like Libra season, which thank fucking God, nothing against Virgos, but like, I hate Virgo season. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't like Virgo season. And I think my main word for Libra season is clarity. And that yeah. can mean clarity in relationships in in business endeavors and mm. just other 
things. And yeah, it was just a cool realization of, okay, we're going on to the next season and Virgo season sucked and we (laughs) go from there. Yeah. I love that. I love the, um, the term clarity for Libra. I think like with the balance aspect, it's super perfect. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to see it through that way too, for me. So thanks. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Duh. Especially with our Libra moons. Like, you know, yes. I have a very, like, I have a huge connection to my Libra moon. I'm very, I, I feel like I'm a very Libra in person, like mm-hmm. with kind of like a, I, a Leo chaser or vice versa, if you want, depending on the season that we're in. And I vibe with Libra season. My grandma, uh, is a Libra. She, um, is, you know, is past, but, um, she pops in all the time. She's still with us. And, um, she was like my best friend. So I adore Libras and Libra season and we're looking forward. Yeah. There's just something about Libra. I don't know. They're just, it's so like, like two of my other really good friends, like two of my other best friends are also Libras and like, they're just so like compassionate and, and just loving and like emotional, like you see the caring and that that's like for us too. Like when we care, we fucking care. We literally give Mm -hmm. our blood, sweat and tears to everybody that we love and care about. And that that's also like a Leo thing, but there's something, I don't know, just about our Libra moons. It just, it pops out even more. You know, what's funny. I, um, you mentioned clarity and I noticed that like my Libra moon gives me clarity a lot. Like in, in, when I'm seeing like situations from like the perspective that I'm in now, when I'm older, Ah. as opposed to like who I was when I was younger and very, um, positive about like every relationship. Yes. Naive, I guess I would say. I mean, not naive, but I totally understand where you're coming from. I think because like as Leos, like if something happens or like we get hurt, like emotionally, mentally, like if someone like fucking like hurts us and we, or we, anything we fucking, we're just like, oh my God, fuck you. Like, at least for me, I'm like, fuck you. What the fuck are you doing? Like, fuck, fuck, fuck. But then Mm -hmm. like your Libra, like it just calms you down and puts you another perspective of like, wait, hold up. This might not even be anything about me this like we have more compassion and more like understanding and clarity for what the situation is going on it might take a second like for me it takes me a couple days to realize like okay I should like I should calm my titties down like it's okay (laughs) but yeah yeah, just I mean we love Libras we love Libra season and yeah that's it yeah Libras air sign they keep us in the air they keep us seeing all you know yeah exactly so Going on, okay, so this episode, because it's spooky season, it's officially spooky season, spooky time, we're in October, we have like a super exciting episode. Yeah, the leaves are falling, the air is crisp, it smells like death and decay, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, we're talking about our favorite spooky movies and shows. Yes because why not because now okay so we have the 31 nights of halloween that's Ooh. happening on freeform why then why like the fuck not talk about our favorite spooky like media and like w- yeah. what has made us like today why we love them and all of that so like why the fuck not 
Yeah. And here's the thing, guys, like we could go on for years and years about this. Like this yes. episode could literally film for years. Yes. Um, but like we're going to cut it down to just a few. This has been very hard for us because we have a lot of favorites, especially with the 31 nights of Halloween. Everything playing is pretty much our favorite. So yes, yep. we're going to like, you know, take you through some of the movies. If you haven't seen them, you'll get kind of like a snapshot from our perspective. We'll talk about like how they've affected us, how we've grown with them and how, what, what like importance they have to our craft, especially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, go from there. And we do have, um, you guys have heard our friends before, Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. Um, they do uh, magic and mythology and pop culture. If you want a more um, analytical read, if you want more facts about um, movies and films and shows and, and pop culture of related magic, I would highly suggest you head over there because yeah. uh, they're going to give you like, they're, they're going to take um, some of these movies that we're talking about. They've talked about these movies, some of these movies before they're going to give you like a lot more information. We're just going through them from a personal perspective. So yes, exactly. We love yeah. them. We love uncle Bob's They're our besties and they're like the fucking best and the amount of shit they put into their episodes. Like, holy smokes. Oh yes. my God. So, yes. um, Sean, do you want to take it away? Yeah, I'm going to start with, um, gosh, probably my <laughs> all time favorite movie. If you're a longtime listener of um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Pod, you will know what this is. But for anyone who isn't, Practical Magic. Yes. Also, get ready for this fucking Google Doc because. Yeah. Yep. I am who I am, and I won't change for no babes. Okay. Golf so, clap. golf clap. <laughs> I'm going to give you um, as quick of a walkthrough as I can, guys, but there's a lot in this movie. Um, So let's go. Let's go. So Practical Magic, based off of the best-selling novel by Alice Hoffman, Practical Magic, it follows the sisters Sally and Jillian Owens as they navigate life as witches, ghouls, the joys and pitfalls, what witchcraft means to them, and how the generations of Owens women that came before them live within them. This movie is about ancestral ties, and we fucking adore it. All right. So the movie opens with a curse. Maria Owens, a Massachusetts woman sentenced to hang for witchcraft, stands upon a scaffold and twists the curse that rules the Owens family for generations to come. If any man should dare love an Owens woman, he's doomed to die. Classy. The story is being told by aunts Frances and Jet to their grandnieces, Sally and Jillian, to help them understand and cope with the deaths of their parents. Frances and Jet are also both eccentric, colorful and sassy witches that have lived two full lives within the craft. And with the story, they explain that Sally and Jillian's mother, Regina, died of a broken heart when the Death Watch Beetle sang its death song for their father. Sally and Jillian came to live with the aunts in their large drafty white Victorian home on Magnolia Street, happens to be my uh, dream home, in a town where children throw rocks at the girls and call them witches. Sad. Um, The girls see the aunts perform spells firsthand. Once when a love-stricken woman comes to their back porch door one night, the woman demands that the aunts make her lover leave his wife and the girls learn their first lesson in magic that night. What is done cannot be undone and you should be careful what you wish for. Mm. Mm. The girls grow up in the town as witches where people cross the street when the Owenses walk past and people avoid their gaze. Jillian decides to run away with a high school sweetheart to escape it, but not before the girls make a blood pact. They will be connected forever. They'll even die on the same day. 
with Jillian gone, Sally sinks into a depression. She's not herself without her sister, her only company in their misery. As we know, misery loves its company. The aunts witness Sally's sadness and decide to cast a spell upon Sally to find love. One sunny summer day as the clock strikes noon, my favorite, favorite scene in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sally is drawn from her garden to the sound of this kiss by Faith Hill into the street where she meeks and locks lips with Michael, the local grocer that doesn't even get one line in the movie. I love that part as well. I also love that the part where like she's running towards Michael and all the dogs are running behind I know. her. Like, oh, yes. Yes. That is, a, that is like the biggest me vibe. So <laughs> flash forward three years, Sally and Michael are living a life full of love and happiness. No more stones being thrown. No more chance cried out. And the two beautiful young daughters that they have are just like filling their lives with joy. We also get an update on Jillian, who is living in Arizona. I'm lying in the sun. I'm hanging by the pool. I've got a million friends, seemingly living her best life. She's involved with a mysterious vampire cowboy named Jimmy Angelov, and they certainly seem to be toxically obsessed with each other. It's gross. Out of nowhere, tragedy strikes to the sound of a sad Nick Drake song. Michael dies in an accident and Sally is catatonic with grief. She can't get out of bed for weeks. Not even for Jillian, who literally drives 5,000 miles to tell her to brush her stinky teeth and get her ass out of bed and take care of her kids. It sounds like Philly because his teeth smell really bad. His breath smells so bad right now. It's so bad. A Philly mood. Ah, yes. So uh, Sally does eventually get out of bed. She wakes up one day and knows she needs to move forward. So she opens her apothecary shop for Bina. And moves on with her life, although she longs for a love and to be loved. Mm. Jillian calls Sally on a full moon, and Sally knows something's wrong. She flies to where Jillian is, who's holed up in a motel, and she's battered by Jimmy. She had been punched in the face by Jimmy. Sally is the rescuer, ever the rescuer. She prepares to bring Jillian home, and they see a red tint on the moon. Blood on the moon. Where's my tiger's eye? Mm. Never a good sign, y'all. Jimmy is waiting for them in the car. He grabs Jillian and with a gun to her head, coerces Sally into. With Sally driving and Jimmy drinking, Sally and Jillian communicate telepathically. Jillian has belladonna crystals in her bag and she wants Sally to find a way to get them into Jimmy to knock him out. After an altercation between the three, Sally grabs the bottle and doses it heavily. Jimmy then, after drinking a lot more, attacks Jillian and then Sally attacks Jimmy. And then Jimmy passes out on Jillian. Oops, he's dead. He's not passed out. Mm-mm. The girls need a plan. So they drag him back to the house on Magnolia Street and decide to resurrect him, which Sally had asked the aunts to do for Michael when he died. They succeeded. Jimmy comes back, but as something dark and unnatural. And Sally beats his ass with a cast iron skillet and the girls bury him in the backyard. I love that. A lot just happened. Yes. <laughs> Jillian and Sally try to resume life as normal, but Jimmy's spirit begins lurking and the aunts have had it with the lies and leave the girls to clean up their own mess. Enter Gary Hallett, a nice looking in a penal code sort of way, detective from Arizona who's looking for Jimmy. He impounds Jimmy's car and warns the girls that Jimmy is a dangerous murder suspect and that harboring him would be a major vibe killer. He's already majorly suspicious of the Owens women as it is. Gary is invited to the house on Magnolia Street after talking to a bunch of the locals and hearing like a bunch of the the chatter about the girls being witches. Um, 
He's invited for breakfast to question the girls, and Jillian nearly feeds him a banishment syrup before Sally's daughters, Kylie and Antonia, realize that Gary actually could be the man that Sally had summoned in a true love spell as a child. It's always the Garys, you know? Oh, I know why you said that. <laughs> we we love a Gary. I just we have to do. say. I have to interject the, there. Yeah, and Gary the snail on SpongeBob. We love a Gary. We do. <laughs> so Sally follows Gary back to town uh, because he storms out. He's like over it. He um almost has fed that banishment spell. They end up seeing a frog on a stump literally regurgitate Jimmy's ring. That he uses to brand people. Um, frog. Back to frog. There we go. Everything. There we go. Everything. <laughs> so he sees this ring. He's like, "Y'all are lying." Runs back to town. Sally follows him. They have a moment. Okay, but Sally stops it before it starts and spills the beans that Jimmy is dead. Sally returns to the house to find Jillian actually being attacked by Jimmy's spirit, and Gary follows her back. And he helps to banish the spirit with his talisman, his badge. Gary returns to Arizona because he doesn't understand what's happening between he and Sally when she reveals that she is in fact a witch. And Sally takes matters into her own hands by activating the phone tree, an emergency hotline consisting of the moms of her daughter's classmates to call in 12 women for a spell to banish Jimmy's spirit. Another amazing scene. Scene, yes, absolutely. Despite many of the women being in town being skeptical of the Owenses, they all show up to support Sally and Jillian, Jillian, who is incapacitated by Jimmy's oppressive spirit in the middle of the circle. Thankfully, the aunts return and lead circle, and together, by believing in their own power, the women successfully banish Jimmy's spirit from Jillian's body and seal his nasty-ass spirit back into the grave. Gary later returns to Sally from Arizona. All the Owens women jump off the roof of the house on Magnolia Street and fly, proud of their witchcraft and proud of who they are. You know what's so crazy? The first time I actually watched this movie was during quarantine. I know. I love that. Isn't that, but like kind of sad, but not, but it's like the, that was like the time you were really exploring your witchcraft. And a lot of people have found themselves as witches during this pandemic. So it's probably a time where a lot of people have seen this movie for the first time. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely a cozy comfort movie for me. Um, What it means to me in my practice, where do I even begin? This movie's everything, everything. Um, From such a young age, it taught me to be true to myself, no matter what, especially when it comes to witchcraft to honor my ancestry, honor how I may change and grow within the craft, which has been happening a lot lately. I've been growing and changing. And that's something that I think that um, new practitioners, young witches really have to remember is that you will always grow and change. You will not be the same witch year over year. Definitely not. Yes. Witchcraft does not need to be stereotypical and only unleashed for certain things like making a man love you or getting back at an enemy. It can be a practical guide to live by, that it can be stirred into your tea and written into your letters, and that it can... Be the love you have for your sister or your wish for a true love. As Aunt Jet says, there's a little witch in all of us. So I guess this movie taught me that witchcraft can look like anything and be in everyone and anyone. It was my introduction to living every day as a witch and being proud of that. I love that. I mean, it's so you and I'm watching the whole movie. I mean, obviously, number one, you're Sally and I'm Jillian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's yeah. just, that's, that's how it is. That's it. <laughs> and I, I, I love that this movie has really like 
let you embrace who you are. And cause just like them, like they didn't want, they, especially Sally, like didn't want to use her witchcraft at a young mm-hmm. age. And that was yeah. like, you, you repressed your, you repressed your, your, your magic for how long. Mm-hmm. And then finally you're like, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to embrace who I am and I'm going to show everyone I'm a fucking badass witch. And that's just every time now that I watch that movie, I just think of you for that. Oh, thanks. It's true. <laughs> that's like, that's like the highest compliment because it, it really like, it does show the underlying struggle of Sally wants to be normal. Right. But what does normal mean? Aunt Frances says that being normal is vastly overrated and rather denotes a lack of courage. And I totally agree with that, but Sally wants to be, um, you know, really just like part of the community. And that's what I tried to be. I really tried to be part of the community. I tried to not be myself. And then at the end, she embraces her magic. She embraces who she is, not just like kind of little bits here and there. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's you. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Number one. Number one. Okay. So my number one, it's been like, probably one of my favorite it is like my favorite movie of all time I yeah Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas it is my comfy my like it's everything like every time it's on or anytime I'm sad or I don't feel good I always want to watch it so my plot line is not as intense as Sean's but I did a little (laughs) bit so this was done in 1993 story by the fucking Tim Burton. So in the beginning you learn, okay, there is my favorite part in the beginning. Oh my God. It's just the, it's the best part. So you're in the woods and you, you have the five, was it, is it five? It's the five trees. Maybe there's more trees, the holiday trees. You have holiday trees. You have Thanksgiving, you have St. Patrick's, you have Easter, you have Christmas, you have Thanksgiving. I think you have Valentine's day and you have Halloween and you mm-hmm. open it up and they start with the song and it's the mm-hmm. best but exactly mm-hmm. it is the best thing ever so Jack Skellington is the pumpkin king in his Halloween town and it's the same thing that happens every single year they get ready they spend like all fucking year getting ready for Halloween they do their one Halloween for the night and then they start going again for next Halloween it's the same thing over and over again and guess what Jack is tired of it. He feels like mm-hmm. he has more purpose in his life, which like, I get that. And I think it's so interesting too, because he has kind of like two different personalities. He puts on a persona that he's this scary, like scary guy. I mean, cause he's tall, he's a skeleton, but actually he has a, like a golden heart. He cares yeah. and he really wants, he wants a heart and he has one. So mm-hmm. Jack is over it. He wants something different. He wants something more exciting. I think he really is like having like a identity identity crisis being like, what the fuck else am I going to do with my life? Honestly. So he's having his little like mopey time singing his song, which honestly his song is amazing. Danny Elfman's voice. Come on. If you don't know this, like King, like it's the best with zero, like all of it. Mm -hmm. And he stumbles upon the trees that are in the woods. And guess what? He finds fucking Christmas town. Ooh. So he goes in and he is like, oh my God, what is this like winter? Like ice wonderland. What's this? Exactly. Another great song. Oh my God. Also every single song in this movie. Amazing. Fucking fantastic. 
A plus, A plus. And he's like, oh my God, I want to do this. I want to do Christmas. So he wants to basically become the next Santa Claus, but basically shit just goes down from there ever since he tries to figure out like, okay, how am I going to do this? Because all he knows is Halloween. So he mm-hmm. like tries to have a town meeting, tries to like tell everyone, okay, this is like kind of how Christmas is, but also everyone in the town only knows Halloween. They're, sp- they're spooky, creepy characters. Also, all of the characters in this movie are fucking iconic. Oh yeah. Iconic. You have Sally, which is probably the most important character in the movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You oh, have- yeah. You have the mayor. You have the three vampires. You have, I literally know Boogie's every- Boogie's boys. Boogie's boys, lock, shock, and barrel. You have Oogie Boogie. You have Zero, which is the fucking cutest dog in the world. Yes. And there is so much more. You have the doctor. You have, oh my God. I can literally like go on and on and on about this movie. I love how the doctor, like when he needs to scratch his head, he like oh. opens his head and he scratches oh. his brain. Oh yeah. It's the best thing. I wish I could do that too. That'd be great. <laughs> so ever since them trying to figure out how to create- Christmas, but have the only way they can do it is Halloween. It doesn't go very well. That's basically like the rest. It just doesn't. It doesn't go very well. Um, the presents are not very good. They're 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 terrifying. And he goes like Jack kidnaps Santa Claus, Sandy Claus, Mm -hmm. gives him to Oogie Boogie, which Oogie Boogie is. I've he's seen. a gambling boogeyman. Yeah, and he he's a he don't gam- play fair. You don't know exactly. And he's fucking awesome. And yeah. it just Jack like finally realizes after he like basically like yeah, he just ruins Christmas. He does. And <laughs> he does. He ruins Christmas and he realizes like while he's in the cemetery singing his part two of his song that he tried. But this is not him. And that's okay that it's not him. Halloween is his thing. This is who he is. And he tries to fix Christmas. And he does in the end, even though like Santa Claus doesn't like him for it. But you know what? It's okay. Because by the end, everything is good. Everything's back to normal. And I, it just, uh, I just love this movie so much. And like this movie has been my favorite movie since I like don't even know how old. Everything about it, every time going to Disneyland when it's like Halloween to Christmas and the Haunted Mansion turns into the night before Christmas, like that just brings me so much joy. And I don't know how I stumbled upon it. I don't know how I didn't realize how much I loved Halloween since I was afraid of Halloween for so long as a kid. I hated going trick-or-treating. I hated like I hated it I just everything was so scary to me but this movie didn't and this like movie has some like kind of like creepy things to it but this was my first spooky movie that made me love like the dark side of life and just it's oh like, yeah it's my like everything so yeah oh, oh that's god <laughs> can you so tell how all- excited I get <laughs> Yeah. First of all, thank you, Tim Burton, for opening Courtney oh, up to the spooky world. Um, it, I mean, everything like you, first of all, you gave a fantastic walker. I loved that. Um, that was literally I, like, I was like at the top of my fucking head. I was like, let's yeah, just keep going. Of course, your favorite. Um, I have three things I want to say. I adore this movie. I know like every word to every song. I fucking love it. I mean, who does it, you know? Um, and three things that I want to say that I like got out of your walkthrough that mm-hmm. you brought me to the realization too. 
Sally's a fucking witch. Let's talk about that. She's such a witch. How many potions does she make throughout this whole movie? And the fact that like the, the, the plant and when she's holding it, it turns, it's literally. Oh, her vision. She's a four. Yeah, exactly. She knows Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. She's a fucking witch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That she's constantly, um, using the, uh, what is it? The, um, frog's breath. There's a frog again. Frog's breath. And did, was it wormwood? I can't remember. But there's deadly was, nightshade. There deadly is nightshade. Fro- yep. Yes. She's poisoning the the doctor the whole she time. So she's making that. Shit. She's yeah. making her baneful spells, yes. and then she makes that one potion for um for Jack that yeah. like becomes the butterfly. You know, I love that. So Sally's such a witch. Um. Also, here's another thing that I noticed. Uh, when Jack is having his identity crisis song, his realizations. Both times he's in a graveyard at the beginning of the movie, he's in the graveyard in Halloween town. And then when he comes down, uh, when he like crashes, he's in a graveyard in the mortal world. Yeah. Like, and he's literally sitting in like a, like a grave. It's so, I, it's such an, like a, such a theme. It's so like symbolizing that I, uh, it just, oh God, it's so good. Yes. Continue. Sorry. No, last thing I just want to say is that like the whole movie is kind of, I feel like about forcing change and, Mm -hmm. you know, forcing you to be who you're not. And the whole town, like you said, they don't know how to do Christmas. They only know how to do Halloween, which is kind of funny because like, so from the moment I popped out the womb, out the belly button, I was a Halloween bitch. Like every Halloween I was like, dressing up the entire month of October, I had a box full of costumes that I would wear. I was like the spookiest little, little shit. Okay. And, and, um, I would just do everything in the theme of Halloween. Like my room is always decorated for Halloween. I have Halloween ornaments on my Christmas tree. I have Halloween bunnies up for like Ostara Easter back when, back in the day when I was, you know, pretending to be Christian. So like everything was Halloween to me. And that whole part just is funny because it's like, I see myself trying to act normal and I'm just a Halloween bitch. And that's know? okay. Embrace the Halloween bitch. Embrace it. It's great. And like you took us on a, a magical mystical tour and I'm so happy that you love this movie as much as I do. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. your, your next film, since we're still in the spooky, I mean, this is, this is top notch. This oh. next one. This is probably my top comfort movie. Like Practical Magic is, it has its like ups and downs for me. It's like as a roller coaster of emotions, you know, yeah. like it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me happy. It makes me sad. This movie, I will put this on when I'm not feeling like myself and I immediately feel like myself again. So Coraline. Yeah. Top fucking notch movie. It's from 2009 and- it's claymation. It took them literally five years to make this movie. And I thank praise every day that the gods brought this movie. Anyway, so walk through. Coraline. Coraline is a young preteen girl who has just moved to rainy and dismal Oregon from Michigan with her parents and is bored to tears. The whole movie, she's bored. Coraline is spunky. She's got blue hair, blue nails, a yellow raincoat, and matching swampers. 
dragonfly clips in her hair and she wears a captain's hat to complete the fit, marking her as striking, unique, and individual. I also want to say that like just right off the top, her Michigan accent is hilarious because it sounds like my Scranton accent. She says LOL. garden, um, uh, rain, you know, she like says all these words that like I say whenever I'm in Pennsylvania and Zach like loves to make fun of me for that. So mm-hmm. just throwing that out there. I love her accent. Um, Coraline and her parents have just moved into the pink palace, a pink Victorian house. Here we go with my, my home theme again. Um, divided up into three apartments. On the day of the move, Coraline sets off to explore her new surroundings. She rips a dowsing rod from a poison oak bush and looks for a secret well. She is met with an aggressive and mangy black cat, friend to YB Lovat, grandson of the Pink Palace landlord and local stalker. Kidding, he's just another bored kid. Coraline finds YB annoying and weird, calls him a stalker, but he does let it slip that his grandmother usually doesn't let kids into the Pink Palace, which is odd and unexplained right off the top. Coraline remains bored. Her parents both write for the local garden magazine, garden magazine, which is a goal, and don't have any time for her. Coraline, at the behest of her father, counts all the doors and leaky windows and explores the new home, finding many weird things along the way. A portrait of a boring blue boy in a painfully boring painting, a small child-sized door in the living room as well. She manages to coerce her mother to unlock it. They find it bricked up, probably from when the house was divided up. That night, Coraline is woken by mice running under her bed. She finds that weird and gets out of bed and follows them and witnesses them running into the door that was bricked up earlier. But now all the bricks have disappeared and a colorful tunnel leads her to another world. Crazy. She crawls through and is kind of disappointed when she gets out on the other side because it looks like the room she just left. Except for the slight differences. Now the boring blue boy in a painfully boring painting is happily eating an ice cream cone and something smells great. She opens the kitchen door to find her mother cooking in the middle of the night, but the woman turns and Coraline realizes it's not her mother. The woman has buttons for eyes and corrects Coraline. She's her other mother, silly. Coraline quickly realizes that everything on the side of the door is better, brighter, more delicious, and more fun. She returns the next night, because why wouldn't you, experiencing the wonder of the other mother's night garden, her delicious cooking, her other father's attention for once, Everything her true parents lack. Even the neighbors are fixed. Bobinski has a real mouse circus. Spink and Forcible are actual performers. And YB can't talk and annoy Coraline. It's seemingly perfect until Coraline again meets the cat on this side of the door, who now can talk. She mistakes him for the other cat, but he corrects her. He's not the other anything. The cat warns Coraline that the other world is not what it seems, and neither is the other mother. This quickly becomes evident when the other mother finally reveals her plan to keep Coraline in this world by sewing buttons into her eyes, which she tells Coraline is the only way to stay. Coraline literally says no way and tries to escape back home, usually just by going to sleep. But the other mother keeps her in the other world, and Coraline realizes she doesn't actually have much power here. Coraline rejects the other mother again when she breaks into the living room, which now resembles a spider's web. The other mother once again presses Coraline to stay, and at Coraline's demand to return home, the other mother, now literally visibly changing into a hideous monster, locks her in a mirror, where she meets three ghost children that the other mother, or the bell dam, has trapped in the other world. They ask her to find their eyes. 
which will release their souls. No sooner does Coraline agree to this than the other YBs pulling her out of the mirror and helping her escape. Coraline does make it to the other side of the bridge with the other mother screaming, where are you? What are you doing? Um, to find her parents have vanished, which is confirmed by the cat to have been stolen by the other mother to lure Coraline back. So she just got back and now she's like, I have to go back again. Oy vey. The cat warns Coraline to challenge the other mother to a game to even the odds of her escaping with her parents. She returns to the other world to find it falling to ruin. The other mother is desperate to have her. Coraline strikes a deal with the other mother. She'll find her parents and the eyes of the ghost children in exchange for her release and the release of all who the other mother has trapped in her world. The other mother tells Coraline she's hidden the eyes of the ghost children and three wonders she has created for Coraline. Coraline navigates through the night garden, the basement apartment stage, and Bobinski's circus, finding the ghost eyes with the help of a hagstone that Spink and Forcible gifted her. She returns inside with a cat in tow, and they find her parents with the other world crumbling around her each time she finds an eye, as if they are fueling the power of the other world. Coraline returns to the other mother's web room, spotting her parents in a snow globe. She tricks the other mother into opening the door to the portal home, throws the cat in her face, and escapes through the door. The other mother's hand, now only made of sewing needles, breaks off and follows her to the secret well where she hopes to deposit the key because there's only one. With the help of the original YB and the cat, Coraline defeats the other mother once and for all and drops the key down the well. That is like a lot. There's a lot in that movie. Yeah. And there's like, they really do say that everything in film is deliberate, but like since this movie, I feel like is... Claymation took them five years to make. Every single time something happens in this movie, it is so exceptionally deliberate. So you have to watch, yeah. you know? And there's a lot of symbolism in this. A lot of symbolism. And it just really goes unnoticed unless you watch it 1,500 times as I have. Yeah. So this movie is like, oh, so good. Um, I believe this is what it means to me. I believe Coraline is an allegory for trauma. A young child taken out of her comfort zone, pushed to fight for her life and threatened with real physical harm and constant gaslighting. It's definitely a piece that highlights the struggles of neglected and the unique and forces one to grow out fast. I connect with this movie because I have literally lived this movie. I left my home at a very young age and moved to an area where the people made me feel foreign and literally other. I escaped into a secret world of magic and had to fight my way out. Coraline is the story of struggle and neglect, which many of us surely can connect with in one way or the other. This movie is a masterpiece. We just said this layered, colorful, intriguing. I literally get something new out of it every time I watch it. Does Coraline ever actually make it out? Do we ever actually make it out? I mean, this movie is about growing up hard and it's portrayed with such beauty and grace that we're enamored with the majesty of it. All that we forget, this movie is about trauma. Also, it's claymation. Like we said, it's literally deliberate. Everything's a message and an allegory, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. I haven't, honestly, I haven't watched this movie. I don't even know, like, in how long. And it's very, the way that you describe this, like, talking about trauma, like, it that is, like, so fucking on point. It is so hmm. interesting the way that they do that in a certain way. And, like, I love that, like, okay, so Coraline, this was like young you and yeah. practical magic is like now you. So that's like so dope to think about. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Coraline was like really my childhood that like, I just kind of got swept up in this like mystical world, this, this other persona. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people can connect with this movie in that, like, there's so much escapism that we want to experience, especially now during a time yeah. right now. Yeah. We literally, like I was thinking about it today. I we we can barely go on like any of the social medias without hearing something horrible and just being like, you're trying to like, you try to like have escapism maybe from like your day job or just like a, tra- a traumatic situation that happened and you like lay down and you start to scroll and immediately it's like political unrest, social unrest, uh, murder, intrigue, mm-hmm. crime. And it's mm-hmm. like, Jesus Christ, I just wanted to like decompress for five minutes. You know, it's like none of us can get a break in this fucking world, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So I think movies like Coraline really pull you out of that, like this, the trauma of where you are and kind of help you compartmentalize and also like show you that life may not always be as it seems, you know, you think this world might be a dream come true and maybe you're wrong, you know, that was beautifully said. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. So my second one, so it's not a movie. It is a TV series and guess what it is. It is the Mm. chilling adventures of Sabrina, or as we like to call it chaos. Now Mm -hmm. this series Sean, Sean and I, we fucking went nuts over mm. it. Fucking went nuts. There is so, there's so much, there's so much to this. So started in 2017 based off of the Archie comics. Basically it's a much darker twist on the show, Sabrina, the teenage witch, which was out with a uh, Melissa Joan Hart, like for how many years yeah. and Sabrina Spellman is basically finding her way into the world being half mortal, half witch. And guess what? It isn't all that easy. Not at all. There were only four seasons, which there should have been more. And it was, oh my God, it was so intense. Ghosts, zombies, witches, warlocks, being in hell and back. Like there was so much to this that I was like, I can't say every single season, like what it was no. about and what is going on. Basically, you just have to go. You just have to watch it yourself because- it's so, it's just so fucking good. And what was so interesting, like after watching the first season, I was hooked. And oh, yeah. because I was learning, like 2017, it just came out when Sean, like you and I were first starting to get really close. Mm-hmm. And you told me to start watching this. And obviously I did. And the series taught me so much about my practice and witchcraft. Like, I didn't know too much about all of that, like in the beginning in 2017 and then each season, even like the last season, like when did it come out? I did it come out during quarantine. I think so. I yeah. think so. Yeah. And I learned so much being in a coven to the division of hell and the mortal mortal realm, like learning about, oh my God, it it was like, sometimes it was over-exaggerated at certain like parts, but a lot of the things were very true. Like I'm talking about the holidays, Hecate, which hello, that was a <laughs> whole big part of the last fucking season. Like yeah. casting spells and the coven light, it sparked my interest into learning so much more about like, who am I? And like my craft and 
everyone just you you should you just should you should yeah watch it you should just watch it yeah it's also like it, it really makes you like not not want to like fall into stereotypes this this um this show uses stereotypes as like I, I an ironic like plot mover yeah you know like yeah so there's the the coven initially they were um they were like witches of lucifer they mm-hmm. they were like satanic witches and as we know like there were so many different kinds of witches don't judge anyone for any of their deities or whatever they choose to practice. And, you know, right off like the top, people are going to watch this and be like, oh, witches are evil. This just proves it. But like, it's ironic, you know, it's supposed to be like ironic. And at the, you know, at the turn of it, they change deities, which is super funny. Which is so dope. And you get to learn about like the pagan witches and the Wicca witches and like learning, like learning so much about witchcraft. And honestly, I need to watch this series again, since now I like truly understand what's like going on and really like digest because there's so much in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a cool nostalgic. I love like the kind of like they blend uh, modern era and like 50s, 60s. I yes. love that. You know, that's very like, I love that aesthetic. Um, we love to see it. And it's just so beautifully filmed. Uh, the script is yes. beautiful, you know. So it's very, it's just, very well written. Yeah, it's very well written. I just like the fact that like it's kind of taking a hammer and chisel at stereotypes of being like, stop, like stop holding everything to a T, you know? (sighs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Next one. So I, I like categorize these, like the ones that I was doing into like comfy and like unsettling. So this is definitely one of the unsettling favorites that I have. I just like, it's just a scary, spooky movie. And I love it for spooky season as I'm a horror bitch and I love it. So it's iconic. Blair Witch. Yeah. It's, it's iconic. Blair yes. Witch. And specifically, we're talking about the 2016 Blair Witch. We love the 1999 Blair Witch. I mean, 1999, amazing year for movies. We love that year in film. Um, but I'm going to assume that you guys know about the 1999 one. And we're just going to jump in with the 2016 one because I love that one. So Blair Witch is actually the sequel to the found footage film, The Blair Witch Project from 1999. In the original movie, it was three students. In the 2016 movie, it's four students set out into the woods of Burkittsville, formerly Blair, Maryland, to validate rumors of the Blair Witch who has been terrorizing the community for generations. In Blair Witch, the story resumes in 2016 when the original movie's protagonist's little brother, James, is convinced that his sister, Heather, who was the original movie's protagonist, is still alive. Um, He heads into a gloomy forest accompanied by his friend Peter, his friend Ashley, and his friend Lisa. The four friends make their way to the home of local eccentrics, Lane and Talia, who had actually found the rough footage from the original movie, left out the entrance of the woods, and they're the ones that uploaded it online, and that's how James found it. Um, They all agree to enter the woods and try to find any evidence that Heather is still alive in the woods. The group spends the night, at which time Lane reveals stories he read online that the Blair Witch requires a sacrifice of staying in the woods in her, staying in her woods in order to take victims. 
After a night full of twig snapping and growling sounds in the woods, the group awakens to stick figures bound in twine hanging from the trees around their campsite. Visibly shaken, obviously anybody would be, the group decides to leave. On their trek out, Lisa spots twine in Lane's bag, and she accuses him of spoofing the site and creating the poppets to scare them. Lane and Talia admit that they made the poppets to try and direct attention to what was happening in the woods, and they get booted from the group. So the four friends, original friends, now alone, walk all day and happen along a campsite, which is actually their campsite. Yes, bitch. They walked in a goddamn circle. Same. There's... they're scared and screwed at this point since they've lost the day so they just set up camp again they're like fuck i guess we have to stay the night talia and lane return that night yelling about how the sun hasn't come up for days they're like they literally sold them a couple hours ago and now they're they show up starved shaken and literally looking feral so they're all kind of like what talia rejoins the group and lane stalks off noting that the witch had marked this group more moaning and groaning from the woods happen And Ashley actually falls ill from an infected wound that she sustained the day before. Peter makes the biggest mistake you can make in some haunted woods at night and leaves the safety of the group to find firewood. One for the witch. James goes to look for Peter, finding his flashlight. It literally looks like a tree fell over on top of him, but he's gone. Ashley freaks out when she sees Talia and Lisa back at the camp. And then the three start freaking out altogether because they find more poppets surrounding their camp, this time wearing their hair. Ashley breaks a poppet in half containing Talia's hair and all of Talia's bones break. Another for the witch. So they start screaming. I mean, like if you saw someone just snap in half in front of you, I would be wild. So they, Lisa and Ashley, they both take off into the woods and their tents start flying through the air. They meet up with James, all three book. There's like, they're screaming. There's like, there's a storm happening. Everything's flying around. There's like moaning from the witch. It's pure chaos. So they of course get separated because, because why, why would they not, you know, it's a horror movie. Um, Ashley ends up scaling a tree to try and grab a drone that they brought with them that disappeared hours ago. It ends up in the tree. She tries to grab for it, but it looks like something actually pushes her out of the tree and then drags her incapacitated body away. Three for the witch. James and Lisa, now the only two left of the group, finds a house in the middle of the woods. So this house, it was rumored years before that a man named Rustin Parr would take children to kill at the commands of an old woman. Sounds highly suspect. Of course. So James thinks he sees Heather like run past the window and it's suspiciously sounding like the original film, um, like the audio. So he runs inside and he leaves Lisa in the dark in the rain poor lisa so lisa remains outside she's screaming for james to come back when she pans over now they're all filming they all have like i'm sorry i should have mentioned this earlier they all have cameras they have like cameras on their ears they have like their own film cameras so like this is another found film version you know so she pans over with her camera um like just across the woods and shows the only glance we get of the witch for the entire franchise, which I burst out laughing every single time. She, the witch is a literal Gumby Gollum creature galloping towards her. Like she's like 17 feet tall, Gumby. an actual Gumby. She's an actual Gumby. Um, I don't know if I would have kept together in that moment if I had seen that. I would have like, peed myself. I would have peed and I started laughing yeah. and probably died, you know? Um, safe to say Lisa runs in the house. 
Um, so she and James are going through this maze of a house from two different ends. James is combing the upstairs for his friends and sister because he thinks he sees Peter and like someone's running around. Um, and then Lisa is literally crawling through the bowels of the house in search of him. So this movie just like quickly becomes like a whole bout of chaos, but it's like actually interesting. Somehow crazy Lane shows up and pushes Lisa through a trap door into like another basement under the house. So that's cool. Um, Eventually they both end up in the attic. Um, They finally found each other, James and Lisa. James tells Lisa to turn around and stare at the wall. Do not look at the witch. She she only takes sacrifices. So if you look at her, that's a sacrifice and she will kill you. Eventually, the witch tricks them both to look at her using the voices of Heather. And then um, James looks at her. He gets like knocked over. And then the like you hear James's voice like calling for Lisa and Lisa like turns around and seals the deal. So it's uh, it's done for her. Done is, so. there a, is there a third movie? So there's the Blair Witch Project, 1999. Yes. And then yeah. they made a, a Blair Witch 2, which bombed. Absolutely bomb. I was going to say. So technically this 2016 movie is the Blair Witch, is like the third Blair Witch. And something funny that I had recently learned about this movie is that in the original movie, they actually forgot to film the witch. Like somebody had like all been dressed up as the witch and they just forgot to film her. So this movie, I felt like kind of made up for that where they did show snippets of like a creepy Gumby lady and then like somebody shuffling around in the house. You do see that. But what's kind of nice is like not, I think what makes it more scary. Not seeing it. Yeah. 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 No, I think what they did with the 1999 movie is fantastic because it's like mind terror. It's mental terror, you know, but this movie, I just, I love it because like, it's a classic woods horror movie. Like we yeah. love a classic woods horror movie. Um, yikes. Like this movie's all about respecting the woods. That's kind of the deeper meaning, you know, this movie's spooky and fun, but there's so much soul in the woods. It's always something that's both fascinated and scared the hell out of me. Love this movie. Um, this movie commands respect for a woman killed out of superstition who comes to the, to own these woods and anyone who dares trespass it. She owns them too. We love a witch of the woods. Um, so we love you is what you're saying. Thank you. You're yes. Um, yeah. I always, it's funny because whenever friends will come over here where I'm living now in a town called Blair, um, I always tell them not to worry because I'm the scariest thing in this woods. I'm the Blair witch, you know? Oh. So this movie's just fun for me. It's just fun. I love a scary, spooky, witchy movie. And we love a witch that gets revenge on literally everyone alive. Oh so. my God. Yeah. Also for Halloween, can you please dress up as Gumby? Gumby? <laughs> like, <laughs> like skin suit Gumby. <laughs> like, can you please, can I make you? Might happen. I I, I might have several costumes this year. Okay, so. great. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. Um, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so the last, my last one is, you know what it is, bitches. <laughs> American Horror Story Coven. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, baby. We are talking about the one and the fucking only. So this season, season three of the American Horror Story series, 2013 to 2014, early 2014. Also, all of it's on Hulu. So you want to watch on Hulu? Fucking watch it. 
This season is all about how a coven of witches fight to survive for their practice, their ranking, their lives, and so much more in New Orleans. And also the Salem witch trials is brought up a lot. And most importantly, the queen herself, fucking Stevie Nicks, she's in the building. Yes, yes. This season has so much to it. And it's so interesting because Sean, you were telling me about this when you first watched it. And we talked to a lot of other guests. What was super cool about this season is that after it came out, witches started to come out of the broom closet. It was the and, witch awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And not be afraid of who they were. I mean, if Stevie came on the show, you know, it's the real deal because mm. she never makes appearances like that. Mm. Like it. Oh, like, oh my God. Like I binged this and yes, super sad. Everyone. I know I never really watched American Horror Story. I never watched it. I tried to watch Hotel and it was just too gory for me. So yeah. I like, I didn't. And I think I've said that before in other uh, episodes, but this, have I ever watched a full season? No. Was this the right choice for this season to be my first? Damn fucking straight. I mean, like, how can we not? I watched this season a month ago, maybe a little bit more. I don't remember. And what was so cool is that everything they talked about I understood after honing in on my craft for like this past year and watching this truly made me feel like the witch I am today. Like maybe there was a reason why I didn't watch it until now because everything they did in the coven, like I do in my own practice, not everything, but like a good amount. And I knew what was going on versus Sabrina. When I first started watching Sabrina, like I really didn't understand it. And I would have to ask you, I'd be like, okay, so what does this mean? Like, what is this? Like, how, how are they doing this? And it just makes me proud of the journey I've come on and how much more I will be learning about myself. So once again, Mm. Sean, Thank you for basically telling me, bitch, if you don't watch this right now, I'm going to cut you. I literally was about to cut you. I mean, like, oh my God, this, this, this show, this, and I mean, when I say this show, I mean, season three and that's it. Because like, I, I mean, I love, like I've talked about this before. I love season two, but season three, every it's everything. Stevie Nicks. I mean, come on. Um, we love Misty Day. We love Fiona Good. Like, (sighs) uh, we love literally all these women, like all of them. They all have different, separate, interesting stories, different yes. lineages. Um, Cordelia, oh. um, just just all of them. They're just all great. And they all teach us something about ourselves. You know, And the, the cast, let me just say, Jessica yeah. Lange, Sarah Paul, like the, everyone except Emma Roberts, because we don't like Emma Roberts, but <laughs> everybody in the cast, they just fucking owned it and I remember at the Emmys I'm pretty sure that both of them did win awards mm. for this season everyone has said and I've, I've I've read it this is probably like one of the the best season of American Horror Story yeah no it is and I mean it's funny because like I went to see Stevie Nicks two times before this and like three times after this three or four times after this and like at one of her solo shows Sarah Paulson was in the front seat in, in the audience of course And she literally mentioned like it was right after American Horror Story and she literally like came out and she was just like, this is for all my witches. Hey, witches. And I like like blood curdle the blood curdling screen. Everyone around me was like, are you fucking kidding me, bitch? And I was like, I am not kidding you, bitch. I will scream as soon as Stevie Nicks says witches because fuck you, you know? So like I think I was like one of the few people in like the back 
blood curdling screaming when Stevie Nicks mentioned American Horror Story. But fuck, yes, it was just it was a time, and I will never not be indebted to that series. Never. It's it's amazing. It, it's it was so amazingly written. It just like there was a reason why, and thank you, Ryan Murphy, for putting mm-hmm. this out here and really letting witches like be open and let it be okay to show like who they are and like it just it just it's really it was an amazing season and I definitely want to watch it again to learn even more and figure out things that maybe I missed in it but like fuck man like everyone please just go watch it if you haven't watched it yet yeah I think if you get anything out of like all of the shows and movies that we're talking about it's basically that like these movies are representing witches as an archetype, as Pam Gross always likes to say, and the witch is an archetype of a woman being who she truly is, you know, or a man being who he truly is, or them being who they truly are, you know? Yeah. It's just about living your true life, your most authentic life, and yeah. I love that. Yeah, that was perfectly said. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So this is my last one. Yeah. Um, You've never seen this movie, have you? No. Well, let me walk you through it, girlfriend. Let Great. me walk you through it. I'm ready. All right. Let me get my this popcorn. Called... Oh, we'll pause for that. Okay. <laughs> this is called The Vavitch. Um, this is another unsettling movie. It is, there's a lot of shock value in it. Spoiler, not spoiler alert, but gore alert. Um, there's gore in it, you know, and there's just some unsettling things in it, but that's just kind of like the story, you know, in the time. And let's just dive into it. So I'm going to make this as quick as possible. This film opens up with um, William, the patriarch of a Puritan family, on trial in 1630s New England. He dismisses those around him as false Christians and the others claims that he speaks ill of the word of God. In a flashback, William's family includes his wife, Catherine, eldest daughter, Thomason, son, Caleb, twins, Mercy and Jonas, Mercy and Jonas, and baby Samuel. They recently moved off their plantation in England to a small farm. Mercy and Jonas play frequently with a large black goat they have named Black Philip, who is iconic. Uh, Black Philip. Black Philip is my favorite character. I'm dead. One afternoon, Thomason is outside playing peekaboo with Sam. She covers her face to scare him, but when she looks down, baby Sam is gone. It's revealed later that Sam is taken, killed, and eaten by a crone of the woods, presumably a witch. Catherine becomes distraught following Sam's disappearance. The family believes that a wolf took the baby. Caleb goes out to hunt with his father, but first starts to notice Thomason maturing and becoming a woman. So there's kind of a creepy, like, brother-sister, like, oh, my sister is, like, becoming a woman there's like that um section like sexual repression there you know it's it's very unsettling out in the woods Caleb becomes fearful that Sam was taken because he was he lived in sin making Caleb worry that he was also living a sinful life and will that then lead him to his doom Mm. the two return home to an angry Catherine Thomason takes the blame for her father for the two of them going out to hunt Thomason and Caleb are by the river gathering water. Mercy comes along and accuses Thomason of being a witch, blaming her for Sam's disappearance. Thomason plays along with the accusation and starts to terrify Mercy. I be the witch of the wood, clickety-clackety. Thomason says that she is a witch and that she will get Mercy if she continues to bother her. Ooh. Ooh. With a lack of growth on their crops, 
Beginning to turn problematic, Thomason and Caleb venture into the woods. The two are separated from each other. Caleb disappears and comes across a small cottage. From the doorway emerges a beautiful woman. She lures Caleb toward him and she kisses him before grabbing his head with a haggard hand. So we see that she's not actually this beautiful woman. Thomason later finds Caleb outside in the rain, naked and scarred. The family becomes worried that something evil is overtaking them. I mean, their kid's dead. The, the other son is going crazy. Their daughter's presumably a witch. Mercy and Jonas continue to accuse Thomason of being a witch to the point where even Catherine appears to believe it. Caleb is bedridden and the family prays for him. After a while, Caleb begins to writhe and speak some sort of prayer, while Mercy and Jonas also writhe on the ground as if they were possessed. They're truly little shits. Mm. Caleb speaks as though he accepts that he is about to meet God and he starts to moan passionately before dying with a smile on his face. That's kind of like um, allegorical to an orgasm mm-hmm. to me. Um, Thomason then runs outside to cry in despair. I mean, Caleb's kind of her bestie. William starts to accuse her of evil doing and that led to Caleb's death. She angrily defends herself and states that perhaps it was Mercy or Jonas that made a demonic pact with Black Philip. William locks his three surviving children in the barn with the goats until something happens. Oh. Oh. In the barn, the kids see a pale nude figure drinking the blood of one of the goats. The creature, a witch, turns around and cackles at Mercy and Jonas, causing them to scream. Meanwhile, Catherine appears to find Caleb sitting in the chair, holding Samuel. She approaches them and takes Sam to breastfeed him, but in reality, it's just a crow picking at Catherine. So she's just going, she's insane. She's just oh going insane. Oh my God. In the morning, the goats have been slaughtered and Mercy and Jonas have vanished. Thomason emerges from the barn and sees Black Philip charge at William, impaling him with one of his horns. William grabs a hatchet and seems ready to fight, but then drops it allowing Black Philip to charge him again and knock him into a pile of logs that crushes him. He's dead. <sighs> Catherine comes out and continues to accuse Thomason, blaming her for the deaths of her family members. Catherine starts to choke Thomason, who continuously tells her mother that she loves her. Thomason then grabs a nearby blade and hacks at Catherine's face until she's dead. <sighs> so Thomason's uh, alone now. She quietly walks into the barn and dons a cloak. She encounters Black Philip and demands to speak with him. After a brief moment of silence, we hear the quiet voice of Philip. He asks Thomason, what does she desire? And tells her that he can promise to give it to her. Philip appears to take human form and walks behind Thomason, telling her to undress. She does, after she signs his black book. She follows him into the woods while naked. In the middle of a woods is a coven of witches, all dancing nude around a fire. The witches then start to float in the air. Thomason embraces the darkness and begins to float above the trees herself. Yo, Black Phillip. Black Phillip, Black Phillip. I just, I love it. Whoa. This movie, this movie speaks to me of finding your power and embracing your darkness. It's just shroud in fear and marked as evil, which your darkness is oftentimes by larger churches but in the ending this movie really shows us the freedom that comes with becoming who we are truly meant to be as if that's not a theme throughout this entire doc this movie warns us not to hide or reject our power for anything live deliciously wow dude i gotta watch that yeah well we'll we'll put it on the list for when i'm there because holy crap wow it is so good it is so good i mean this movie is layered it's like it's fear monger. Like it, it, it's just like 
reinforces how the the church fear mongers people into being afraid to not make any mistakes, to not live a life in, of sin. I mean, this right. kid Caleb was tortured to death by his own fear of living in sin. You know, when Thomason seemingly accepts a sinful life, which really she's just accepting her freedom to be who she is. Wow. She flies, you know? Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I definitely, yeah, we got to watch that. Cause yeah. 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 It's gotta, such yeah. a good movie. It's a little bit like it takes a couple times and then you're like, Oh, but like that last scene with black Phillip, I mean, it's so good. Oh fuck, man. You know what? All of these movies and these shows that we talked about, there's, there are some good shit out there. Some good shit. I mean, like, like I said, that is just like a tiny little pinprick of our favorites. We could talk at nauseum about so many other movies. Oh my find god! Find yeah. them all on Freeform, uh, streaming for Thirty One Nights of Halloween. Yes. There's then these movies are so full of like so many details that we didn't have time to talk about and to like really analyze and get into. But it's all like live your truth, live your freedom, yeah. live your spooky freedom. Live your spook best spooky life, babes. Live your best spooky life. Uh, well, we surely enjoyed this episode. So we hope yeah. that you enjoyed this episode, especially because we're starting spooky, spooky month. Like, yes. And you know where to find us on all platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Anchor, you know, all that good shit. Find us on the Instagram. Find us on the shop. Go get your stuff mm-hmm. on the shop. Go, go um, uh, find us on Instagram. Go email us. Do whatever. We want to hear from you and we love you. And um, yeah. eat your candy. Start eating your candy now. Cause yeah. Candy corn. Yeah. Buy your, uh, your Scorpio some presents from our shop. Get our merch. Support yeah. us. Yeah, get that fucking merch, man. And that's it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Which is, well, we hope you have a spooky rest of your uh, day and we'll see you next time. Adios, amigos.